Hello, my name is Adam Eason. Welcome to episode 66 of Hypnosis Weekly. Hello, hypnosis friends, and a very warm welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Clickety-click, episode 66, bingo! Once again, in my own highly biased opinion, I think I have a red-hot show lined up for you today. In a short while, I'll be sharing with you an interview with my guest, Sarah Swanton. Then we have this week's hypnosis in the news stories, examining the media where hypnosis is featured. I'm going to offer up some personal subjective commentary on the ways hypnosis is portrayed in the media. Also to comment on some of the content of those media stories. And we've got a fairly uh, uh, controversial topic in particular this week. We then return with our professional discussion with my guest Sarah Swanton. We'll be talking about the subject of therapist burnout, looking to understand it better. And Sarah shares her brilliant protocol for preventing it from occurring. We'll round things off with this week's hypnosis evidence-based factoid before I bid you farewell for another week. As I say at the beginning of every Hypnosis Weekly episode, this podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. I do not share the same stance as most of our guests and at times have major differences in approach and leaning, but all are incredibly lovely people who I'd happily talk with until late in the pub and all of whom, following their time here on Hypnosis Weekly, I have a great deal of respect for. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback, do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode on the website wwwhypnosis weeklycom That's just hypnosisweekly with a hyphen in the middle.com. You can add your thoughts, comments, make any suggestions there too. Do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter, anywhere else and help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. If you enjoy the podcast, then please do give us a favourable rating, even a review at iTunes. I'll be a BFF if you do. Additionally, any listener to the Hypnosis Weekly podcast can get a 20% discount on all of our advanced online hypnosis trainings, including our Cognitive Behavioral Hypnotherapy Certification, our Hypnotic Coaching Course, my Advanced Hypnotherapy Diploma, and our Hypnotherapist Business Development Academy. Just visit my college website, aecollegeofhypnosis.uk. So first of all today, is this week's interview. As you will hear, uh, this week's guest, Sarah Swanton, is a graduate of my college, though she was incredibly accomplished a very long time before she had anything to do with me. Her abilities, skills, knowledge and seeming ease at which she innovates and run, and, and the way in which she runs her business made her someone that I was really keen to ask to come and join me on the podcast. We'll hear about Sarah's backstory in, in both parts of the podcast today and I love her candor and the way she's risen up beyond and, and out of the adversity that she's encountered and, and, and is really doing something to, to, to sort of draw upon that experience with her work. I'm, I'm absolutely delighted delighted that she's here on the show. So, for now, get comfy, my friends, turn up the volume, sip on your tea. Enjoy this week's interview. 
as I've just been discussing, I'm delighted to welcome the one and only Sarah Swanton to Hypnosis Weekly. Sarah, welcome. Thank you, Adam. I'm looking forward to this. So let's let's learn a little bit about you. Um, um, tell us a little bit about how you got into this field, what your background is, and how you've arrived at where you are now. Yeah. Um, well, I first got into hypnosis, uh, and I can actually give you the exact date here. <laughs> it was the 17th of November, 2004, um, and it will become clear in a minute <laughs> why I know that date. That's, that's impressive that you had the exact <laughs> date. Yes. Um, I was living and working in London at the time as a recruitment consultant, and I was living quite a full-on lifestyle, and I worked long hours. And one morning I was coming out of Chancery Lane tube station and there was a chap handing out flyers and he thrust one in my hand and on it it read, stop smoking with hypnosis. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. So I walked into the office and I just got on with my work and then we got to lunchtime and I realized this stop smoking with hypnosis flyer had been playing on my mind all morning. So I picked up the phone and I dialed the number on the flyer and I said, right, I've got your flyer here. I'd like to stop smoking. Can we book an appointment, please? And the appointment was the following week. And bearing in mind, I knew very, very little at this stage about hypnosis. Yeah. So uh, I turned up to this appointment after work and walked into the room and I was greeted by this lover lovely gentleman I'd say probably late 50s early 60s uh, his hair looked a little bit like Albert Einstein it's quite wild <laughs> <laughs> but he was very kind and very welcoming um, and we had quite a long chat about why I wanted to stop and what I worry about the most if I were to continue and what's it going to be like when I stop you know all the usual sort of questions yeah now being 2004 it was still back in the day of smoking in the pub the smoking ban didn't come into the UK till 2007 so yeah. he uh he asked me so do you drink alcohol and I was like yes I do he said what's your favorite drink and I said champagne <laughs> of course <laughs> obviously feeling flushed that week <laughs> and uh, he left it at that and then we did some more chatting and then I said and then he said to me okay now we're going to do the hypnosis so You've got to picture the scene here. First of all, I'm sat in a very comfortable black leather chair with a footrest that help, you know, helps you recline nicely. And he, he handed me a pair of, I guess, sort of 1970s style mock leather headphones. You know the type? Yes, yeah. And, um, and then he fixed <laughs> me up with a biofeedback monitor. So I had mm. this Velcro... <laughs> his velcro strap to my finger these copper sensors to my forefinger and he asked me to focus my attention it's brilliant he asked me to focus my attention on a black and white spiral on the wall and he said to me right are you ready and I was yes I am really ready for this <laughs> so um so this spiral starts spinning around and he sat behind his desk and while I'm reclining in this chair he's talking to me through headphones I mean, how wonderfully old school is that? Yeah. Um, and I just thought it was fantastically bizarre at the time. And, yeah. you know, with all these weird and wonderful props, it was so outside of what I knew life to be. <laughs> um, it, it was almost how could this not work? 
Um, All that kind of positive expectancy, um, Irving Kirsch stuff was all going on for me right there. And I didn't know it, but um, at the time, but he, yeah, I mean, when I look back now, it was actually quite a basic script. Um, But but, but with all the, all the stuff, all the stuff as well kind of lends itself to the expectancy because you, you know if you believe if you believe these these things have purpose to them whether they do or not um, mm. um if, if you believe they have purpose to them they, they sort of amplify the effect right yeah absolutely i i, I mean i thought this is it this this, this is going to work i knew it um and it did i mean I, you know he um and that's why I know the date, you know, 17th yeah. of November, 2004, I walked out of there and I had no desire to smoke after that at all. But interestingly, for about three to four weeks after that, I noticed my alcohol consumption increased quite considerably. And right. I, re- I realized during the hypnosis, he'd said to me, yes, and um, Sarah, to use my name quite a lot, there you are with a glass of champagne in one hand and your and the other hand is just floating by your side, feeling free, enjoying freedom, all of that. But basically he delivered me a suggestion to to really enjoy drinking alcohol. So so I got quite into that for <laughs> so about three went. weeks. Yeah. yeah. It was a very merry <laughs> three weeks. It was, it was. But I almost didn't mind because that calmed down anyway. So Yeah. Um so anyway, that was my first um, introduction to hypnosis. After that, I I then wrote a to-do list of all the things I wanted to work on. Um, and I went back to him and we worked together for about two or three more sessions. Um, and then I transferred through work to the Sydney office in Australia. And I went there for a couple of years. And my fascination with hypnosis just wouldn't go away. Um, a seed had been sown if you like and I was listening to his CD recordings that I've been given um most mornings that became my thing um and while I was in Sydney I I went to see a couple more hypnotherapists just to kind of experience it again um in a in a in a real life situation um and (laughs) Other people might go for a massage. I just went for hypnotherapy. I thought that was just the best thing ever. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I realized also, so was, I'd seen by that point three hypnotherapists. And what was really interesting, I um, didn't know anything. I hadn't had any training. I'd just been a recipient of it. But I was very aware that all three hypnotherapists had quite a different style. Um, I wouldn't have known this at the time, but when I look back now, one of them was very NLP focused. Um, You know, one session and you're done kind of thing. Um, Another was quite psychodynamic. Uh, You know, I'm sure she would have had me coming along as a thing to do every week. You know, that that seemed to suit her way of working. Um, So, and I would say the first chat was quite Ericsson focused as well. but anyway, I came back to the UK after two years, uh, set up home in Brighton. And one of the first things I did after securing a job was to search for a hypnotherapy course. I knew I wanted to study this stuff. Um, and as luck would have it for me, and still to this day, I'm grateful that it worked out like this because I wouldn't have known at the time. But I came across 
um, a company called Uncommon Knowledge, based yeah. in Brighton at the time, um, running a 10-month diploma course led by Mark Tyrrell, Roger Elliott, and Jill Wooten. So I went along to the, the first lecture, and it was, it was like coming home. I mean, I would just sit there listening to Mark or Jill or Roger speak, and I would literally be drinking their words. You know, I was like a sponge. I found it fascinating just, just learning um, about anxiety, depression, um, really learning what hypnosis was. Um, it's just the highlight of my, of my weekend at the time. So then I set up a practice in Brighton, became full-time. Um, a few years later, we moved out of Brighton. I had my daughter. And then in 2015, when I wanted to come back to the field, I realized I needed to re refresh my skills um, and decided I wanted an evidence-based hypnotherapy course. That was important to me. And found my way to the Adam Easton College of Therapeutic Hypnosis. You did? Yeah. Um, which blew my mind to a whole new level, um, I must say. Um, so, I, yes, I have a diploma in solution-focused hypnotherapy and psychotherapy from Uncommon Knowledge, and then a clini clinical hypnotherapy diploma, NLP practitioner from your college, and then the HPD certificate as yeah. well from BNCH. Um, so, yes, yeah, so now these days I live on the Suffolk-Cambridgeshire border. My work now is very much about helping business owners and entrepreneurs uh, with the inner journey of being self-employed. So all the emotional yeah. and mental stuff that gets in the way of running a successful business, stress, yeah. anxiety, worry, etc., cetera, um, which if left unchecked can lead to burnout and even depression. So, um, yeah. And, yeah, and, 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 you know, this is a fascinating subject. It's something that's, that we've not touched upon in, in, in any previous um, edition of this, this podcast and something I'm really excited about talking to you about in the, in, in, in the second part of today's show. Um, so, so throughout this journey that you've been on, you know, because that's, that, that's, that's a, a healthy period of time with lots of study, lots of experience, lots of background. Um, um, where are you at as far as hypnosis is concerned? You know, do, do you have um, um, your own d definition and 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 if so how did you arrive at that definition and, and how do you explain hypnosis to either your clients and and, and other people you know when, when you get cornered uh, um, in the kitchen at parties and so on yeah yeah and you do don't you yeah you do <laughs> yeah. um I must admit until I came on your diploma course I never really had a solid definition um there was a way I would say it to clients but in terms of my own definition and what it meant for me I didn't really have one and you encouraged us to do that and it really did play on my mind right the way through the course and um, and actually there was one time when I was driving to Bournemouth actually um, and I was playing around with definitions in my head and I thought to myself yes this is it this is the one but I was driving so I couldn't I couldn't write it down so I called my phone from the car, and when it clicked into voicemail, um, I stated the definition clearly and slowly into the voicemail. <laughs> and, then when I, and then when I got to the hotel later and listened to it, I thought, nah, that's not it. Keep going. But um, yes, I do have one that I'm happy with for now. Yeah. Um, so here goes. So, so for me, 
hypnosis is a highly focused level of attention given to the suggestive language communicated either within or from a hypnotherapist affecting significant improvement to one's quality of life. Mmm, good one. Good one. I like that. I like that. <laughs> there's, there, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of encompassing um, within there. There's a lot of um, um, really important bases covered. Um, um, I love the fact that you included the, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's hard for me to to pick up and remember everything. Um, 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 but I, I'm, I, you know, I'll be listening back to that. I love the fact that you included the suggestion being delivered either from within or or via uh, an external source. Um, um, great, great, mm. great. And and yeah, t t t tell me a bit about you know you know about arriving at that. That that, that that's something that because you know that, that there's definitely I can see influences from um, um you know the, the variety of different sources from your yeah. background there yeah um well yes and you're absolutely right i i do i'm i'm i do like to take influences from a variety of sources and the highly focused level of attention has i i think always been there for me it, i've always thought of it as a very narrowed focused down level of attention um previously i might have said trance state but i've i've let that go a bit um, not sure why. <laughs> um, the suggestive language as well. It, um, previously I might have said suggestions and now it's more about the language um, and certainly, yes, the within because I don't always think you – and we need to teach our clients this as well. We, we are not the only ones that can help clients make changes when they learn how to do their own self-hypnosis. Um, they, there's no reason why they can't then look after their own emotional health. Um, but, um, and yes, I, as I said, I never really had a, a, a specific definition previously, but I might have said before something about, um, the unconscious mind. Yeah. And I, yeah. and I don't tend to use that now if I did I would use it in more of a metaphorical state rather than because when you I think when you are seeing the other side of something it's very difficult you might fight it for a bit but then when you when you it's very difficult for me to now talk about the unconscious mind because after doing your course that did change things for me um, so Yes, but having said that, that definition is probably not what I would say to clients because I think it's a no. bit too geeky. Yeah. So with clients, I would say something along the lines of, you know, well, first of all, what it's not is it's not the same as being asleep, um, you know, because we know this because hypnosis is something you can be doing when you're fully alert, like when out running or watching a film or, you know, being in deep conversation with someone. Um, it's a kind of hypnosis. Um, I'd also say that uh, one of the things people say is how calm and relaxed they feel, but please know that it's not essential for you to be relaxed in order for the right changes to be able to happen. Yeah. And I think previously I thought that was 
a precursor. You had to be relaxed in order to be hypnotized and that's or yeah. to go in, you know, to do hypnosis. And that's not so true now, I think. Um, I think that's a common misconception that, that, that relaxation and hypnosis are correlated. Um, and, you know, the evidence would suggest they're not. And, and, and you know, thank goodness, because, you know, all, all of our, our anxiety clients can, can breathe a sigh of relief. Yeah. You know? ah, yeah. my, my issue yeah. is that I can't relax and they're not expecting me to be relaxed in order, you know, in order for this to work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, you know, it's, it's interesting what you say, you know, you know, that, 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 that you hadn't really nailed it down. And, that, and, you know, and I loved you telling us about this idea um, of, of, of phoning yourself and, re, you know, and recording your own definition and ideas as you were tweaking it um, and, and get coming to terms with your own. Because I think, you know, a lot of people consider it potentially to be academic. And I think that's quite glib to suggest that it's just purely academic because it's going to be, you know, it's going to be the foundation of how you work with clients and mm. how you work with people. And it's going to be, you know, it's almost like having a set of principles with coaching, you know, um, and how you conceptualize hypnosis is going to be really important to the way in which, you know, your clients respond, react and, and so on. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think also me letting go gently of the notion of the un the unconscious mind has in so many ways made a massive difference to the way I work and who I am as a therapist um, because it brings the client in more to the work that we're doing. Um, it's not just about me having a conversation with someone's unconscious mind while they sit back and relax and think about a beach you know yeah. passive yes absolutely so um there's there's that side of it as well you know i bring my skills and knowledge and expertise but you as a client you bring your determination and you know your willingness to do, willingness to do everything you can um which includes doing all the therapeutic tasks in between um and when we have that that's when we do some really good work together yeah 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 absolutely absolutely um, um so you know throughout these years throughout these years that you've been studying the field throughout the period of time um you know you, you you've really met some characters you know just 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 the small snippets you shared with us today have, have shown us that tell us a little bit about your influences um, um your major influences the books the authors that have taught you most teachers um, um and perhaps some of the reasons why that that, that, that that's impacted upon you and, and where you're at yeah um, well, the first trainer I met in the hypnotherapy world was Mark Tyrrell. Yeah. Um, and very pleased I did, really, because he was um, and still is um, a major influence for me. Yeah. Um, he doesn't run courses anymore. The, 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 I, I was um, on the last year that they ran the diploma course, but he's very active. Um, in training therapists online, or I would say hypnotherapists who already have training, he adds to that now. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, just that course that I did, the diploma in solution-focused hypnotherapy and psychotherapy, which I did in 2008. Um, things like, I mean, the solution-focused approach to therapy works. I I enjoy using that, particularly in my consultation session. Yeah. You know, always, always getting a goal from the client early on. What are we aiming for here? You know, um, questions like, what's it going to feel like when you are, you know, the goal that they've decided on? And yeah. who's going to be the first person to notice? What are they going to say? 
what are you going to be able to do that you couldn't do previously? And all that stuff is gold, really, because it gives you, it gives me material for incorporating into my hypnotic language, um, which means, um, and I'm always grateful for this, is that you don't have to use scripts. And one of the first things Mark and Jill Wooden said to us was, none of you are going to use scripts when you when you do hypnosis um and it's a bit like what <laughs> but <laughs> yeah it, that's how it how and, and and I think it helps so much because we we can't assume that clients are going to be the same week to week so if whatever you discuss in one session um and afterwards think right next week I'm going to do this and I'm going to get a script and that's what we're going to cover they may come come back to the session the following week and have completely changed or want to do work on something else. So that ability to be flexible and just work with what you have in front of you in that moment, I think, is is gold, really. Yeah. Um. So Mark Tyrrell is a big fan of Ericsson, and so naturally I was introduced to a lot of the concepts and style in in which Ericsson worked. Um. I am quite indirect and generic in my approach, mainly because I believe that to be a good way to build rapport. So I'm not being too specific with people. It it it, it reduces the risk of resistance. So I use a lot of, you know, maybe you'll find that, you know, yeah. your shoulders begin to relax. Or I don't know whether you'll notice today or later this week. You know, and a lot of I wonder. But um Perhaps I don't less of the confusional language. I don't use that so much now, um, but I do like metaphor, and I like metaphor because clients use metaphor. And I know Ericsson was very big on this, and I work mainly with anxiety and depression, so it's not uncommon to hear things like, you know, I just feel like there's a big black cloud all over me, you know, and I, I just can't lift it, and so. To be able to respond with, you know, meeting their their reality, you know, well, that sounds really dark, and I can imagine that's really scary at times. So, you know, I'm just wondering what it's going to be like when we can begin to lift some of that cloud, and you begin to see, you know, some glimpses of sunshine coming through. Yeah. And all that, none of that is in a formal hypnosis either. I learned, I think, probably you know, the Ericksonian style that I like is when it is very much conversational and there's not this, right, now we're going to do hypnosis. Yeah. It, it's it's all, it flows quite, I um, mean, a sort of art, artistic way, if you like. Um, yeah. But um, who else? I mean, the other major, major influence for me really is is the human givens as well, which was founded by... Joe Griffin and Ivan Tyrrell. Um, So the diploma course I did was not a human givens course, but the concepts were taught as a fundamental, the concepts of human givens were taught as a fundamental principle of doing therapy. So after my diploma, much of my CPD training was at the, um, what was called the Mindfields College, which is now called Human Givens College. And human givens makes so much sense to me, particularly um, as I said, I, I work with anxiety and depression. Um, Joe Griffin's theory, his research on dreaming, um, yeah. 
his expectation fulfillment theory and, and how that relates to depression. You know, the idea that um, the function of dreaming is to deactivate all the emotional stuff we get worked up about during the day um, and is still taking up space in our heads by the time we try to go to bed at night. Um, and how people who are depressed, you know, they worry and ruminate constantly and, and they dwell a lot. So the more worrying they do, the more dreaming they need to do which means they spend more time doing REM and less time in that sort of recuperative, slow-wave sleep. Yeah. Um, and so it's no wonder by the time they wake up in the morning, they're absolutely exhausted. The you know, battery's flat. And then they don't, um, they don't engage in life because they're too, too exhausted, too demotivated, and so their needs don't get met, which in turn leads to more worry. And this cycle of depression... And, when I learned about that, first of all, in Mark's course, and then continue to, to strengthen that with learning it directly from Joe Griffin, it just made so much sense to me. And when you, when, when you say this to clients, it's like a light bulb goes off in their head. Yeah. And of course, Human Givens is not meant to be, well, it can be, but I think it works beautifully well with hypnosis and with cognitive behavioral therapy as well. Um, because it, it requires you to make changes as well in order to intercept, if you like, that cycle of depression. Um, so I feel like I've won the hypnotherapy training lottery, really, because I didn't know at the time what I was looking for in a course. But I guess by the time I did your course, Adam, I did know what I was looking for, and I did do quite an immense amount of research into all the different schools, because there are a lot yeah. on that. Um, and I know I picked the best one that was right for me because your course covers so much and it, um, and you are, um, most definitely one of my influences as well, because what you do for the field of hypnotherapy in terms of setting the part, the, you know, the bar very high, um, I think one of the areas that I up my skills was you taught me to be a critical thinker. Yeah. And, you know, indirectly that training has given me the confidence to work in such a way that um, I do inoculate myself from any kind of therapist burnout. And I work, my relationship with clients is different because my expectation of them and myself is different now as well. Um, which, you know, we'll talk a, a little bit about yeah. More on later, but yeah. um, having your influence and everything else I'd had up to that date was like completing the puzzle because you opened my eyes up to cognitive behavioral hypnotherapy. It was a slice of the hypnotherapy world I hadn't explored before. Um, you know, and I, and I remember day one, October 2015, first lecture, hadn't even had a tea break, I don't think, and you so eloquently and passionately dispelled the myth of the unconscious mind. And I think I put my hand up there and then and said, but Adam, what you're saying here is the road less traveled, right? Because when people come for hypnotherapy, they expect to have hypnosis done to them. But we're not, what you're saying is we're not doing that. And, um, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 you know, I remember that morning, and I also remember um, um, our our mutual friend Etain asking me some very similar questions. Um, like, 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 hang on, <laughs> hang on a minute now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She and I had many, many conversations throughout that throughout that year, or that that ten months. Um, and and I remember you saying it's a bit like um, Daniel's son, you know, the the yeah. film Karate Kid. Yeah. Um, and it does, it does all make sense in the end. It's almost like you had to get to session weekend eight or nine for everything to click into place. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You need to do some waxing on, some waxing off. You need to do some painting of the fences. Um, <laughs> um, 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 and, and, and then the, the, the bigger picture um, um, slots into place later on. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. So, 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 you know, with... with with, with these influences and and mm. over the years, um, 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 tell me about you know what, what's been one of the most impressive applications of hypnosis that you've directly witnessed that you've been there you've seen. Yeah, um, do you know I'm actually going to give you an example of self hypnosis here. Great. Um, three weeks ago, I was scheduled to deliver a talk to a group of therapists um, and coaches. Um, and the talk was on therapist burnout, and I was all prepared. I was due to speak on the Friday, and then on the Wednesday evening, I started to feel like I was coming down with something. Uh -oh. And <laughs> had an awful night's sleep, woke up the next day feeling dreadful, like really awful, like had to hold my head. It hurt so much. Uh -oh. you know, all my muscles, sinuses. You know the feeling. Yeah. It was full blown, not as bad as man flu, but bad. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, that would have finished you off. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't have been able to cope with that. But, um, but so that morning I said to my husband, Ben, um, well, I'm going to have to call Yvonne um, and tell her I can't do this. She's the organizer of this, of this group. And, um, Bearing in mind this event was a sellout, so every ticket had gone, you know, people were expecting this. I, I didn't want to back out, but I literally felt like I, I just wanted to hide under my duvet for 100 years, never come yeah. out. Um, and so Ben, who's not a hypnotherapist but does know me well, said, look, come on, you're a hypnotherapist, surely there's, there's something you can do, make the symptoms stop. And bearing in mind this was after he saw me a few weeks before that slice the top of my forefinger off while I was cutting um an onion oh. and I knew I knew it was bad you know I knew it was bad so immediately I put my finger in the air and I managed I, I sort of thought in my mind about a valve and I thought about this valve being shut off and just kept that in my mind imagined it you know this valve being closed off and it stopped the bleeding very quickly until there was just like a mere blot on the kitchen roll. So so, um, so anyway, Ben said to me, look, I've seen you do this stuff before. You're not cancelling tomorrow. Make it work. Go on, off you go. Go and do some hypnosis. So I did. I went off to bed and I committed the rest of that day not to sit there in hypnosis, but to regularly and consistently you know, continue to imagine uh, my white blood cells literally surging towards every single germ in my body. Mm. Um, one thing I was really afraid of was getting, you know, the old coughing fits you can yeah. get. Yeah. 
awful. Um, and so I imagined my throat feeling continually lubricated. You know, I imagined my head feeling clear. I imagined how I would ima- how I would deal with the situation if I did get a tickle in my throat. And then I started to negotiate a deal, if you like, um, with that part of me that was producing the symptoms. That if if those symptoms could please rest and subside for the three hours that I needed that following morning, then in return, I promise to go home afterwards and rest. So um, I don't think I'd ever done so much self-hypnosis in one day. It was... It was pretty epic. Um, yeah. And I woke up the next morning, and I, and I didn't feel brilliant, actually. I knew I still had a cold, um, but, of course, I, I wasn't going to back out two hours before. There's no way. So um, I got ready. I left the house. I got in my car. I drove down to the little junction near where I live, mm. and I kid you not, I had this feeling of euphoria just wash over me. Uh, I breathed in. My nose was clear. Awesome. Uh, my head felt clean as a whistle. Um, I looked around me and everything was glistening and gleaming. The sun was out. You see, I didn't do that. Um, I put some my- <laughs> that <laughs> I put would have some been nice- some mighty powerful been- <laughs> hypnosis. <laughs> um, yeah, I put some nice music on and I was, I was feeling better. And I remember reflecting this. I was feeling better the normal, like better than normal. So um, I got to the place, I delivered the talk, everyone really appreciated it, and not one symptom, not one. You know, as, as far as I was concerned, I didn't have a cold, it had gone. And then when I was having a cup of tea afterwards with the organizer and, and two others, um, we were chatting away and I said to them, I've got something to tell you. Uh, did you know I actually have a really bad head cold at the moment. And they were like, no, you haven't. And then I told them the story and they said, wow, you know, that's, that's really interesting. You would never know. Um, yeah. And so that was brilliant. Brilliant. That was it. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I mean that, and, and I love the way that, that you just subtly threw in the fact that you would chop the end of your finger off, um, yeah. um, um, you know, in, in the build up. Um, um, wow, awesome stuff. I really love hearing things like that. So um, if we could go back to that specific date, uh, October 2004, was it? Oh, right, yeah, November. The first, the, the, yeah. Uh, no, November yeah. 2004, uh, yeah. November the 17th. Right, yeah. uh, um, if you go That's back it. to when you started out as a hypnotherapist, a hypnosis professional, you know, mm-hmm. knowing, knowing the stuff that you know now um, um, from throughout those years and, and with all this, you know, vast wealth of experience, is there anything you'd do differently? And if so, if so, what? And is there any advice the person you are today would give that younger version of you? And, and would you extend that advice to, to our listeners, hypnotherapists in particular? Uh, yes. Yes, very much so. And, um, I think the first thing I would, I would change um, or tell myself, the younger me back then, is you are not 100% responsible for your client getting better. Yeah. Uh, they have to bring something to. Um, I used to feel so responsible. That's for a burden. That is a heavy burden to carry mm. around with you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I carried it all. Um, 
And of course, by doing that, I took away their, you know, ability to develop their own self-belief, self-efficacy. You know, it took away their power, basically, by doing mm. that as well. Um, use, I would have told myself, I didn't know about this at the time, but um, I would have thrust one in my face, a reflective practice form. Yeah. Please use that, you know, yeah. I would say. I think that's just the key to becoming a better therapist. And it it's everything, really, because it stops the thinking and the dwelling after a session. And it signposts you to be able to know, right, I do need some more training in this area. Um, so, yeah, I would have done I would have given myself one of those. Um, I would have also told myself to go with Skype therapy. It was just beginning to come in. And a lot of people were very against it. And I believe that. And I now only do Skype therapy. And I think it works very well. So I would say go with Skype therapy, even though everyone is saying don't. Yeah. Be, be an early adopter. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'll be honest. I, I, had, um, I had my my reservations about it when, it when it all first started and lots of people were doing it. Um, I had reservations, yet today... I use it often. Mm. So, um, yeah, you know, I'd sort of eat some humble pie with regards to that. I think that's some good advice. Mm. Um, I tell myself to have to, to hire a business coach. Um, your supervisor, I was using my supervisor as a supervisor and a business coach, and I don't think there's so much to talk about. You can't do the two. Um, mm. So get yourself a business coach who's separate to your bit or your supervisor, or if they're the same, do them in separate calls, separate yeah. sessions. Um, I'd say take your time, Sarah. <laughs> this is this is a marathon, not a sprint. I was absolute gung ho about it. Couldn't couldn't. I just wanted it up and running. So just take your time. Um, and I think I would tell myself not to be so damn earnest. I, you know, lighten up a little. I was very intense and very you know, passionate. And I, and I think passion is good. But, um, you know, and, and, and I was, yeah, I was quite honest about it all. Yes, what we do obliquitously saves lives. But there's also fun and laughter and lightness to be had during therapy as well. Um, and I would like to have known that back then a little earlier now I do and it's yeah. and it's lovely and it's very it's a wonderful wonderful antidote to to you know it, it can be such a reframe but back then I didn't do that so plus I think you know we we, we we are at our best when we are enjoying it and typically I think we derive more enjoyment from it if if you know it, it has its moments of fun and lightness and, and yeah. playfulness and so on um, um, there's so much in there. Anybody listening, you know, I, I, I strongly advise go back, listen to that stuff. You know, um, um, reflective practice. Yeah, you know, um, um, the amount of people that I encounter don't even know what that means, <laughs> um, let alone actually engaging in it effectively and objectively. Um, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Now then, now um, um, we're going to be talking in some depth about therapist burnout in a short while. Um, um, just for now, Sarah, um, um, where we're at with our time, where can people go to learn more about your work and your approach and, and, and everything else? Yep, it's sarahswanton.com. 
sarahswanton.com. There will be yeah. a link, um, 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 a permanent link to that website um, um, at this episode's page at the Hypnosis Weekly podcast um, um, website. Um, um, for now, Sarah, thank you. We will be back with Sarah Swanton in a few minutes' time. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. We do get some great communicators on this show, and Sarah is no exception. Um, I loved, I loved uh, uh, that she phoned her own answer phone to try out, uh, to, to record and try out her own definition of hypnosis on herself. Um, um, more from her in a short while. On to this week's hypnosis in the news then. In the past fortnight or so, there have been a number of articles making headlines and popping up in my newsfeed that relate hypnosis and hypnotherapy and past life regression. Uh, the first article that I will cite, I'm going to cite three of these articles and then offer up some commentary afterwards. The first article is entitled Serbi Giotti, Scarred after hypnotherapy. And this is a story that um, actress Serbi Giotti is making a comeback as a leading lady in her home country um, and she's featuring in a new paranormal thriller. And um, since it's a major comeback for her for her uh, acting career um, and the theme of the project is based upon reincarnation, um, the actress decided to explore the concept of rebirth in depth to have a better understanding of her character. And she was told she was advised that hypnotherapy works best um, um, to know about one's past life and hence she decided to visit a hypnotherapist and a source is quoted as saying in the article nobody knows what happened in that office Serbi walked out weeping and shut herself in her room for several hours the actress later mentioned the horror of being in the past life and reliving the pain of losing her loved ones all over again Hmm. Says the actor of this experience, she said, she's quoted as saying, I'm so grateful to be alive right now. I barely remember what happened in that hypnotherapy session. I only know it turned out to be an excruciating experience. I will never try something like that again. It was like living a bad dream and I wish the best of health for all my loved ones. Hmm. Okay, so um, that's our first article that, that's made the headlines. Um, the second um, um, article is entitled How Past Life Hypnosis Can Help with Life and Love. And uh, this VC Reporter article opens up um, and the author uh, says the following. As a licensed marriage and family therapist and former psychology professor, I've spent years telling people that we all make sense when properly understood. Now, you'll note the attempt at credibility with the credentials here. I'll be referring to this again later on. Anyway, the author continues. Our lives are like a puzzle and we just need to understand the various pieces of our past to understand where we are today. But when I began studying hypnosis, a whole new world opened up for me, literally. I discovered that this lifetime is just one piece of a much bigger puzzle that includes many lifetimes. Hypnosis can help us access those other lifetimes. In the past life hypnosis session that's then detailed in the rest of the article, the, the client, Ken, um, returns to a previous life where he focused mainly on work. At the end of that lifetime, he wonders if he might have missed out on something. Then he connects with his spirit guide, who tells him that his task in this lifetime is to focus on love. Okay, so a couple of fairly contrasting experiences um, within these two articles. And the third article to make the news uh, uh, on this subject in the past fortnight 
is entitled Should You Believe in Past Lives as a Source of Your Problems in This Life? And uh, this article is whereby um, author Sarah Novak states that uh, initially it all seemed quite far-fetched and a bit kooky to discuss the notion of past lives. And she admits that she was at first a little bit sceptical and then spoke with Anne Barham, who's a certified regression therapist and author of the book The Past Life Perspective, um, and found it fascinating. And um, I'm, I'm... she, she asks the question, you know, what exactly is past life regression therapy and um, um, what can it unlock and what actually is it? And Anne Barham um, replies by saying, and I'll quote her, past life regressive therapy is about going to the very heart of the issue, where it all started, whether it's a relationship dynamic, budgeting problems or even depression. Some issues are difficult to crack. But by going to the origin of the problem in a former lifetime, we can work through the trauma together. So according to Barham, um, sometimes we get stuck in our past lives and suffer um, and still suffer from what, what ails us many moons, you know, many moons later. And by going back in time, we can quickly address the problem, uh, you know, according to this particular article. So, yeah, you know, I, 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 I sort of wryly smiled when she mentioned budgeting problems. You know, uh, maybe you're a failed money lender giving out too many shekels in an ancient time. So I got quite excited by this notion. All these articles and um, have been published in the past fortnight. Um, but there's mountains of this kind of thing out there, you know, if you Google it. Um, so. From these articles, um, we can see that past life regression is the alleged journeying into one's past lives whilst they are hypnotized. And while it's true that many patients recall past lives, it's highly probable that their memories are false memories. Uh, the memories um, are, are it, it, you know, the, the, the science tends to suggest that they are from experiences in this life and that they are products of the imagination or intentional or unintentional suggestions from the hypnotist, or just confabulations. Um, um, a lot of people do past life regression therapy uh, under the guise of personal growth um, um, or, or, or healing um, as a tool for, for people that are, that are so-called um, um, explorers. Uh, there may be little harm in encouraging people to remember what are probably false memories about their living in earlier centuries or for encouraging them to go forward in time and glimpse into the future. But as a method of healing, it must be apparent even to the most superficial of therapists that there are great dangers in encouraging patients, clients to create delusions. Some false memories may be harmless, but others can be devastating. And I, I'll mention that in a bit more depth in a short while. Um, um, you know, th th because they can increase a person's suffering as well as destroy relationships with family members. The care with which hypnosis should be used seems, seems obvious, at least to me. Um, some therapists think that hypnosis opens a window to the unconscious mind. Now, the, the unconscious mind is something that I dispute um, its validity of greatly. Um, recently, I, I, I wrote, I put together a meme on it and discussed it in depth online. And it's a, it's a subject matter that I've discussed greatly um, online. You can Google or have a look on my Facebook page or Google, Google Adam Eason unconscious mind and you start Start to sort of get a sense of where I'm at with regards to that. Um, so, so some some past life regression therapists believe hypnosis opens a window to the unconscious mind where memories of past lives are stored. How memories of past lives actually get into 
this supposed unconscious mind of a person is not known. But um, advocates loosely adhere to a doctrine of reincarnation, um, and which makes it very popular in countries where reincarnation is quite a prevalent mindset. Even though, you know, such a doctrine in those countries does not require a belief in, in the unconscious mind as a reservoir of memories of past lives. Um, many past life regression therapists claim that past life regression is essential to healing and helping um, clients and patients. Some therapists claim that past life therapy can even help those who don't believe in past lives. Um, and uh, the practice is often, as with one of the articles I mentioned, is often given, I think, undeserved credibility because of the credentials of some of its leading advocates. So, for example, uh, the very popular within those circles, um, Brian Weiss, MD, um, who's a graduate of Columbia University, Yale Medical School, chairman emeritus of psychiatry at the Mount Sinai Medical Center in Miami. Um, um, he, he, a lot of people therefore imprint or associate credibility with, with his work in this subject. Um, there are no medical internships in past life regression therapy, nor does being a medical doctor necessarily grant one special authority in metaphysics or the occult or the supernatural or the paranormal, for example. Um, the psychologist Robert Baker demonstrated that belief in reincarnation is pretty much the greatest predictor of whether a subject would have a past life memory um, 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 whilst using hypnotherapy. Furthermore, Baker demonstrated that the subject's expectations significantly affect the, the past life regressive session. Um, um, within a study that he, he conducted um, um, amongst a group of 60 individuals, he told the first group that they were about to experience an exciting new therapy that could help them uncover their past lives. And 85% uh, in this group were successful in remembering a past life. He told the second group they're about to learn a therapy which may or may not work to engender past life memories. In this group, the success rate was 60%. And he told the third group that the therapy was crazy and that normal people generally do not experience a past life and only 10% of that group had a past life memory. So it seems that belief and expectation dramatically affect and influence this. Um, I think, you know, I, 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 perhaps being, you know, doing my best not to verge on being cynical, but perhaps being being healthily sceptical. There's there's a couple of features of past life regression, which which, which I suppose make it quite attractive to some therapists, um, especially if those those that are charging by the hour um, and with a need to explore centuries um, um, uh, you know, of someone's past and many lives um, gives 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 an increasing number of sessions. Um, but secondly, you know, the therapist and the patient can usually speculate wildly um, without much fear of, 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 you know, being contradicted by fact, you know, you can, you can interpret things rather wildly. However, this, this does have the risk of backfiring. If you want to investigate the matter further, you can Google Bridie Murphy, uh, a case from the 1950s that was, um, I'm a very interesting case. Mainstream psychological research on memory clearly demonstrates the reconstructive nature of this sort of memory, and clinicians are or should be well aware of the issues surrounding false memory syndrome controversies of the 1990s. Research on past life regression has consistently failed to produce any positive evidence. Meanwhile, research on, on, on age regression has consistently shown how easy it is to install 
false memories of, of early childhood experiences, for example. There are obvious criticisms of past life regression methodology. I think the most telling one is that people who are regressed have never been shown to reacquire the language spoken, you know, despite some anecdotal claims. Um, um, when people are regressed to ancient India or Rome, for example, they continue to speak modern English um, and any conversations were recalled in English, though they must have been spoken in Sanskrit or Latin for example. And many authors and many critics of past life regression believe that it's blatantly a glorified role-playing game. Um, I would say that it's natural and reasonable to be sceptical when there's such an obvious lack of basic evidence. Um, you, you, know, you know, not a single instance of someone acquiring the language to speak um, such as Latin um, um, has never been demonstrated under controlled conditions. But the problems with recovered memory techniques have been well publicised for several decades now. And like I said, the notorious case of Bridie Murphy exposed, uh, exposed the gullibility of people when it comes to these kind of supernatural claims. I think there's a moral dilemma for us as hypnotherapists. You know, if a, if a prospective client says, um, I want regression, I want past life regression do we have a legal moral obligation to explain to them the reconstructive nature of memory to clients for for the purposes of informed consent a recent review of the clinical and research literature in this area by five leading authorities on the subject concluded recommending that the American Psychological Association, the APA, should actually change its codes to make it mandatory for psychologists to have clients sign an informed consent agreement before undertaking regression of any kind that explained in writing that contemporary research provides overwhelming evidence that these memories are reconstructed rather than recovered. Arguably, that just takes the existing duty of care under civil law and elevates it to the status of a more explicit written contract, because they were concerned that psychologists were, were fudging it when it was purely verbal you know, failing to properly explain the issues to their clients. I think we also need to look at what the evidence says and what's legal, ethical and in the client's interests. If you don't think it matters whether recovered memories are real or not, then I suggest you might want to look at the literature on victims of false memory syndrome. False memory syndrome has, has been the basis for the most expensive multi-million dollar civil litigation cases in the history of American psychiatric profession. It's a massive legal and moral issue with extremely serious implications for the fields of psychotherapy and hypnotherapy. Um, and and, and th th this debate exploded in the 1990s, and so it should be thoroughly common knowledge by now that there's cause for concern. Most professional bodies were forced to issue policy statements on the risks attached to false memory syndrome, including past life regression. Um, and And... You know, within that systematic review of the research that I mentioned, they, they, it states, we further contend that if therapists decide to use memory recovery techniques, then they should provide their clients with a written informed consent document that apprises them of one accurate, scientifically grounded information about the re reconstructive nature of memory. Two, the fact that recovered memories must be corroborated before they can be given special credence. And three, information regarding laboratory studies of me memory pertinent to the technique are employed. Um, so do you think that, that telling a client, 
that research on recovered or false memories is irrelevant because you think that Western scientific worldview is flawed, whether that's ethical, does that meet your legal duty of care in regard to past life regression? You see, the contention of the research team that I've just quoted was that therapists have a legal and ethical obligation to explain current evidence regarding the reconstructive nature of memory and so on in order to fulfil their, their duty of care and obtain informed consent from their clients. And I guess that's a tough point to swallow. It raises some interesting, some pretty deep moral questions about the practice of therapy. You know, it's a controversial issue. And with it being the field of past life, you know, filled with past life regression therapists. It's also a very interesting dilemma in professional ethics. You know, and this stuff gets written about and considered as, as, as just being a kind of regular process to do within the media and so on, you know, as I've shown with these articles quite recently. Um, um, you know, if, if you're not familiar with the issues I've been speaking about, then go have a look at the website of the British False Memory Society, which is a group set up to protect victims of false memory syndrome. Um, um, you know, and there's some harrowing experiences. Um, I've, I've heard some some fairly good arguments for past life regression, and some people can make a fairly good case for it. Um, certainly better than the, 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 the vast majority of past life regression therapists. Um, um, however, the key point is that I don't believe that you should work with people if you do not believe or have the full-blown conviction in what you are doing, because I think then it becomes rendered impotent. Personally, I'm going to be really honest, put my cards on the table. I think those that are insisting on hypnosis, um, on using hypnosis for past life regression, um, are in the same ballpark as perhaps those that are revisiting alien abductions to find memories of those events. The evidence does not support these applications and it's possibly doing more harm than good. And heck, all in all, some may accuse you of holding this field back and, and wish that you'd get out of the way for those that are working really hard to bring this field out of the fringes where it lies currently. Um, if you'd like a balanced natural, uh, neutral rather, and an evidence-based perspective on this topic. I've included a link to a PDF um, um, access paper that was written by James Pandrakalam um, um, and entitled A Search for the Truth of Past Life Regression. And, and like I said, it's really balanced, really neutral um, and evidence-based and, and really weighs up both sides. Um, and I think it's a good starting point to examine some of the key features here. Links to these stories uh, referred to are listed on this page um, um, of this week's podcast episode um, over at www.hypnosis-weekly.com. So next up, let's lighten it up a bit. Uh, we have this week's professional discussion. I welcome back Sarah Swanton. I think there's a huge amount of value for you in this discussion. Sarah is not just an exceptional hypnotherapist. Um, um, here, she, she, she demonstrates her innovation. Here, she draws upon her own skill, knowledge and, and painful past experience to help therapists understand and deal with the very real occurrence of burnout. I certainly wish I'd had the, the, the degree of awareness that I have today when I first started out. And I know a great many of you hypnotherapists out there will have better lives and better careers as a result of listening to what Sarah has to say on this subject. Here is this week's professional discussion with Sarah Swanton. Enjoy. So we're back once again with Sarah Swanton and we're going to be talking about 
therapist burnout. And, 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 and I think straight off the bat, Sarah, for anybody that, that is not familiar with the term, um, um, let's, just, let's just really go fundamental. Um, um, what, what are we talking about here? What actually is therapist burnout? Yeah. Well, the term burnout in psychology uh, was first used by Herbert Freudenberger um, in his 1974 staff burnout, which was actually based on his observation of drug addicts he helped, um, who with very blank looks stared at cigarettes until they burned out. Um, mm. Therapist burnout is not recognized in the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, but it is done so by the World Health Organization um, in its um, international statistical classification of diseases and related health problems. Mm. Um, but burnout essentially is a, is a powerful signal that we have been going about things in a way that doesn't work in the long term. So it's a bit like carrying around uh, a stress bucket that becomes more and more full as we go about our week. And if we don't take time to empty that bucket, then it gets more and more heavy and eventually begins to spill over. And of course, there comes that point where there's no room for anything else. And soon we find we have no spare capacity for anything or anyone. Um, because the bucket is already full. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I mean, I'm fascinated about this. You, you, you clearly know your onions with regards to this. Um, 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 t t t tell me, I mean, how did, how did your interest in that then develop? Yeah, um, I have some experience of burnout firsthand. Um, back in 2009, when I first started my hypnotherapy practice, uh, I was so excited, I couldn't wait to get going, and decided to make the leap. I quit my job, I put all my energy and my focus into it, um, and coming from a sales and marketing background, it didn't take long for me to start getting the clients in. Um, I offered free 30-minute consultations, and those consultations converted really well yeah. um, into actual paying clients. Uh, I rented two rooms in Brighton and one in London, in Belgravia, um, and all was going brilliantly, really well for a while. And then after about eight months, um, it crept up on me and I started to feel very tired after my sessions. You know, yeah. I was having full days of clients and sometimes I'd do a morning in Brighton and then I'd jump on the train to London and I'd work from two to eight. And then I'd come home, wiped out, and I specialized in, um, I say the word specialized, I use this word loosely now, depression, anxiety, smoking, and weight loss. I thought I was specializing. I realized now I wasn't at all. Yeah. And I got anything and everything in terms of issues in the people that came to see me. Um, so this tiredness began to continue. At night, um, I would be physically tired, but I just couldn't mentally switch off. I'd be thinking about clients I'd seen that day. Um, I'd be going through in my mind all the techniques I'd used, whether I could have done anything different, what I might do next time. 
as I said before, I felt incredibly responsible for them achieving their goals. Um, and when I wasn't seeing clients, I was spending my time going out networking, you know, breakfast, lunches, evenings, whatever was on, I was there. Um, and I just began to feel continually exhausted. It just wouldn't, it was just part of, became part of my day-to-day -day life. And um, I didn't have enough time to do the things I wanted to do. My number, my, my phone number was on my business card and my website. So uh, prospective clients would call at all kinds of times, you know, and I would give them time on the phone. I'd be chatting away because I just wanted to help them and tell them, oh, I know, yes, yes, you know, half an hour at times um, rather than saying this is, this is how it works and this is how you can reach me. Um, and I personally respond to clients on email as well, lots of long emails back to them. You know, I, I cared a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I got to the point where I woke up one morning and it was meant to be a non-client day. I told myself I would work on my business, not in it. Um, and typical of me at the time, I'd squeeze someone in that morning because she really wanted an appointment. Um, so I booked her in. And this was the thing. I treated all clients as urgent. Um, and I looked at my diary that morning and I saw this appointment booked in for 10 a.m. And I just thought to myself, I can't do this. I've, mm -hmm. I've literally got nothing left to give this person. So um, to this day, I still remember this really clearly, is that I texted her um, to say I was poorly. And it didn't bring me any relief because I felt awful for, for cancelling. And it wasn't I wasn't ill in the way I had implied, you know, a cold or a bug. Yeah. I was struggling with something um, I didn't even have a name for. Um, and so that was an eye-opener for me. I, I, I would ask around, you know, my peers and say, you know, does anyone else feel like this? Um, no, not really. No, no, no one else really knew or ha had experience of that. So... Um, yeah, I started to make time to practice self-hypnosis every morning. I got up and moved around in between each session. I sometimes went for a walk along the seafront at the end of the day. And it helped to some extent, but it wasn't really until a few years later that I really got to grips with it. And that's when I started to do something about it in a in a proper way. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And, so, and so, you know, I, I mean, I... I, I I was getting a, I was getting a sense of of the kind of impact of that, you know, and and, and there's so much I wanted to ask you about there, you know, um, in particular that idea of 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 the burden of the responsibility for the client, you know, and and not not necessarily really connecting with the idea of things being collaborative and letting them share some of that responsibility, um, um but but you know j just you discussing and talking through all the things that you were doing, I think it's quite typical of a lot of therapists that, that want to develop their business, you know, and, and really throw themselves into it and have to get mega busy. There are, there, you know, you, you, you sort of position yourself as a, a one man band that's doing everything and anything to drive mm. this business. And then at the same time, working in the business in, in, in a caring role where you're, you're giving so much of yourself as well, you know, I, I could feel, I could feel, you know, the, the, 
the the sense of burnout developing while you were explaining it and, and, and I get a sense of the kind of impact that it was having upon your life I mean typically what kind of impact does it have you know d d does therapist burnout have upon the individual therapist and, and, then, and then the business as well you know their business their life yeah yeah and and it is the two are related but there is a slight distinction as well I mean certainly on the individual um the first the first way it shows up is is exhaustion um you know that feeling of can't get out of bed struggling to get out of bed um and because of that cancelling plans um you know not eating properly as well can't be bothered to to do the things that are going to make you feel better mm. um which is not helpful at all um overwhelm as well that sort of you know get to the end of the day and just have not anything of real substance to show for it yeah. Um, apart from just going through the motions or honoring those commitments, but little else on top of that. Um, as a business owner as well, the need to make decisions quickly and sensibly, um, that just goes out the window. I just could not make decisions at all um, uh, and go round and round in circles. Um, and uh, that, as I mentioned, feeling of you know, being tired but wired, can't get to sleep, or the 3 a.m. wake up and thinking about clients um, and that not being able to focus on one thing, which is awful, really, um, because you wake up feeling substandard. You don't feel yourself. Um, and then anxiety, of course, anxiety comes into it, you know, racing thoughts, very much all or nothing thinking um, because the fight or flight response is going off. And um, and then this is quite concerning, actually, you know, a feeling of apathy, a feeling of internally feeling impatient with clients um, mm. and losing passion, um, which is, yeah, it's very concerning when that starts to happen. And of course, as small business owners, we are our businesses. So how yes. we feel uh, directly affects how successful our businesses are so yes. if we're too tired for marketing that means that clients don't come or we cancel you know um which means we don't get the income um into our bank accounts which means that we then start questioning the business you know is this for me is this making me the money yeah um and we may even get to that point where we start looking for jobs you know, oh, I'll just, I'll just go back to the job I was doing before. And then when we do that and realize, no, that's not what I want. Yeah, the, 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 abandoning, want. you know, the, the sense of abandoning the dream. Mm, um, yes. Yeah, yeah you, you know, so, so the symptoms you've been describing there, you, you know, if, if, if we hadn't framed this, uh, this discussion as being about therapist burnout, some people could be forgiven for thinking that you were discussing chronic depression or something. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's re really interesting you say that as well because it's not a million miles away from. In if we if we strip away labels, in terms of how it manifests itself in the individual, that the two are very very similar. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So 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 you know, in your opinion, then, what, what what's the solution? What can be done to to prevent it? Because I mean, I mean obviously. 
obviously th there's things that can be done afterwards which 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 you are discussing but but i'm guessing it's more ideal to nip it in the bud before it occurs yes it is very much so it's it's um it's so much easier if you can recognize it at the first signs and then do something about it um as with treating depression or anxiety um, as well. And of course with that, we, we know that it takes a variety of techniques and approaches to successfully overcome depression. It's not one thing. Um, and it is the same with burnout. So I mentioned earlier on the human givens. Um, I have created and put together a framework called the Burnout Antidote Framework, which is loosely based on the human givens framework, which works on the idea that as human beings, we all have emotional needs. And when those um, human needs are met in healthy and appropriate ways, it becomes um, less, uh, it becomes more difficult for mental health issues such as depression and anxiety to show up in our lives. So this framework is similar um, in that when all the following needs are met, we can overcome any burnout. And when we practice it regularly, like you say, we are effectively um, inoculating, if you like, ourselves from any future relapse or yeah. from burnout. Um, so this is the thing I wished I'd had at the time, and it would have made the world of difference to me. Um, and there are 10 areas altogether. And what you do is you scale from one to 10 where you are in each area, and then you put together an action plan, probably on the one where you're scoring the lowest, um, and start working to that. Um, so, I mean, I'll run through them very quickly. Yeah, do. Yeah. Um, so the first one is self-care, um, you know, getting adequate sleep, taking time for rest and relaxation, such as self-hypnosis, um, exercising and moving the body, um, and things like, you know, what time are you switching off screen time? You know, is, is, it, is it a couple of hours before bedtime or is it right up until you turn the light out? Um, uh, the next one is emotional and physical boundaries. So this is about being of service to your clients, but without yeah. feeling drained by their problems. Yeah. So can you switch off at the end of the day or do you take it into your downtime? Again, the reflective practice form comes into this. Um, and what's the maximum number of clients you can work with on one, in, you know, in just one day? What's the maximum you can do? And, and do you honor that or do you squeeze people in at the beginning or the end of the day? Um, I think also that comes into this is, are you clear about your ideal client, who it is and who it isn't um, as well? Because that can make a difference to how we feel when we work with clients. Um, I now believe that niching is very important as a hypnotherapist. I know that we can, there's very little that we, you know, there is a long list that we can work with. Yeah. And that's the beauty of hypnotherapy. But I do believe there's um, there's a lot of value in, in becoming very, very good in one area um, and attracting a, a certain segment of the market. Um, community and connection. So being a therapist and, and being self-employed can be lonely. Yeah, um, we can't, you know, we can't get our needs from our clients. It's all about them um, when we're with them. So... Um, taking time to spend time with people who are nothing to do with work, 
and and but also on the flip side having building a sense of community of of like-minded people around us and i'm involved in doing this now you know building um a a very good network of people around me who are like-minded who are on similar who have similar goals and then and some of them are not even hypnotherapists but they're on a similar path if you like building businesses um so networking groups, masterminds, you know, the people you trained with, they'll always be your buddies. Keep keep in touch with them because they're gold. And... Yeah, I think, you know, I, I, I cannot overstate the importance um, of, of having a support network, an adequate support network, um, 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 you know, especially one filled with with professional peers as well as and, and by that I don't just mean other hypnotherapists just as you said you know other professionals people that that are around to to advise share support discuss debate you know and and mm. just vent yeah. yeah 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 finding finding your tribe um and 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 then organization I mean this is um and I want to make it clear as well, this doesn't mean, by me setting this framework, doesn't mean I'm an expert in all of these things. It's a framework for people to use to then go out and get the resources elsewhere. Um, mm. So organization is, you know, is your timekeeping good or do your sessions run over? You know, do you have a sustainable marketing plan in place? You know, is your workload manageable or does it overwhelm you? Um, are you clear on the days that are for client work the days that are for marketing and the days that are for CPD or training, um, and um, you know, how, where's your yeah. your place of work? Is it clear and organised or cluttered and messy? Um, and then competence and achievement, and this is about how competent do you feel in your field of work? So, do you update your training regularly, or has it been a while? Um, as I said earlier, you know, have you developed a niche that you've become very skilled at or on the way to, um, or are you all things to all people? Um, and, and I think in the early days as well, it's very tempting to be all things to all people. Um, but there is a lot of value in, in, in niching. Um, and identity, this is about how you see yourself and the way you're seen by others. It's about your zone of genius. You know, are you someone who loves working one to one or do you like group work? You know, are you more of an online program person? Because that's perfectly okay to do now as well, I think. Um, uh, And, you know, finding your way, your best way of working. Um, For me, I prefer the online. I don't have a therapy room anymore um, because it's all online and that works for me. Um, So... Just thinking through that as well and, and um, how you come across, you know, how what makes up you in terms of your business identity and how you present yourself online um, and offline. I do offline marketing, like networking and things. But um, And then who are you outside of being a therapist and a business yeah. owner? I think we can become very sucked into it, can't we? It's, yeah, it's, absolutely. Particularly when you love what you do. Um, yeah. So it's about what other hats do you wear um, as well, you know, parent, best friend, sibling, volunteer, gardener, whatever. It's having something else that, that is who you are as well. Um, and then three more. So joy and pleasure. And we, we talked a little bit about this earlier. So being, being a therapist, you know, we do see people at their most troubles and their most vulnerable. 
And um, I think bringing fun and laughter and joy into our lives is the ideal antidote. And it brings a balanced perspective on life as well. Um, you know, so like I said, I would have told the earlier me, you know, do you spend most of your time being serious or do you seek out joy and laughter and fun in the everyday? Because, it, yeah. it, you know, that is important. And are the people around you, are there people in your life who lift you up and energize you? Um, be with those people more. And are there people who take up too much of your attention or drain your energy? And that requires either a, um, a diplomatic conversation with them or, <laughs> or be prepared to, you know, slightly move away from yeah. them. So, um, and then privacy and reflection. So this is fulfilled through non-digital activity, you know, reading, walking in nature, personal development, working with a coach. Um, you know, do you do any, do you take time out on your own, free from interruption? Do you take time to reflect on your goals and your intentions for your business? Um, and, you know, how do you celebrate your successes? Do you, do you, do you celebrate your successes or do you just keep pushing yourself forwards, you know, without any kind of reward? Because that will take its toll. Um, yeah. And creativity, um, you know, rather than being going through the motions, there's got to be time built into the week to be creative, create new services, new products, create blogs, create videos get your voice out there so that you become so that you become a beacon for clients the right clients to come to you as well um and then finally meaning and purpose so you know yeah. having a strong sense of most of us as hypnotherapists do have a very strong sense of our worth and what we're good at and why we do this work um but really honoring that as well and 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 you know and it helps because when things are challenging it's about can you keep going because you believe in what you are doing with a passion and 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 then you begin to be able to make decisions in line with your values um, and things feel authentic and grow um, in a very organic way then as yeah. well yeah um, um, wow I love that stuff um, so much good stuff there good. and so much to discuss. I mean, I mean, the, the, the burnout antidote framework, um, um, that, that you've compiled and, and, you know, I mean, I mean, obviously you could, you, you could speak more, much more in depth about, about any one of these particular points. Mm. Um, um, but you've also, you've also got a Facebook page that has a focus with regards to, to lots of these things, um, that will be showcasing some of these things. Am I right? Yes, you are right. Yes. So there's the website, sarahswanton.com and the Facebook page, um, Happy Healthy Entrepreneur. Now, if anyone did want a copy of this um, framework, I'm very happy to send it. Just send me an email through the website and I'll happily respond um, and you send it back, send it oh, over to, to you. Yeah, that's very generous of you. Um, um, I'll put a link to the Facebook page and obviously there'll be a link to your website as well. And yeah. um, um, I encourage uh, everybody and anybody listening to this to take Sarah up on that offer. That's incredibly generous of you. And and you've been equally generous with the information that you've shared with us here today. Um, 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 we're there with our time. 
Sarah Swanton, thank you ever so much for joining me on Hypnosis Weekly. It's been really great having you on the show. Thank you very much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks, Adam. I really enjoyed that. Uh, do go and check out Sarah's website and her Facebook page to find out more about her burnout antidote framework and uh, what else she offers as well. So on to this week's evidence-based hypnosis factoid of the week. And the fact of the week is a simple one. And it's simply that listening to hypnosis audio tracks is not really doing self-hypnosis. You know, hypnosis audio tracks are simply guided hypnosis without the hypnotist present. Being by yourself does not in and of itself constitute self-hypnosis. So it's probably incorrect to say that audios are self-hypnosis, you know, as in being by yourself hypnosis. And um, proper, and that is best practice, self-hypnosis is purely self-regulated and self-directed without external guidance from a third party, even if it is a recorded voice doing the role of the third party. Um, um, yeah, so that's it. And that is it for this week's 66th edition, a good old bumper edition today. I do have many more exciting guests that I'll be welcoming to Hypnosis Weekly in coming weeks. We'll be discussing, debating, celebrating, and above all, remaining friends. Next time out, I welcome Sean Schwer, and we'll be discussing some specialist NLP skills, amongst other things. Um, all the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode on the Hypnosis Weekly website, www.hypnosis-weekly.com. I absolutely welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions and questions, so do please message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website. I'll make sure that they are addressed, answered and explored accordingly. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter, anywhere else, and really help us reach the hypnosis field. My thanks again to Sarah Swanton. My thanks to you, as always, for tuning in. My name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now. <music>